Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen-Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Morang. Oh, hi. Hi, Danny. But wait, there's more. We are not alone today. We are so lucky to be joined by Casey Holdall today of the Portland Trailblazers beat writer. Casey, welcome to, should I say welcome back? Welcome, just welcome home, Casey. Yeah, no, I, I, one, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, it, you, you should not feel lucky at all. Uh, you, you're more than deserving and you guys do great work. So I'm happy to join. And uh, you know what? Though I did create the thing, Dave really took it and ran. So, uh, so no, it's not so much a welcome back. It's just a uh, a familiarity, perhaps. Let's 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 put it at that. I, I kind of feel like it, you know, uh, when you have like a big brother who goes off and you know makes his way in the world and does a really great job, and you talk about him all the time, and it's just so exciting when he's able to make it home for the holidays, and you're able to see him and ask him like, how is it really going, and hear all the great stories. That's kind of how I feel like it. Oh, that is that is far too kind. Thank you so much. What a what a nice compliment. That's team mom for you. I can't, I can't, I can't stop it. It doesn't, it just doesn't shut down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to hear from you, Casey, uh, just a little bit about your journey from Blazers Edge to working for the Trailblazers. And, you know, how has that evolution gone for you and the different things you've learned along the way? Sure. Yeah. Well, as probably a lot of you are aware, um, you know, I, I started writing, uh, I'm, I'm obviously in my own free time uh, after I got out of college, uh, started a, a Blogspot blog that uh, might even still exist somewhere out there, though I think Blogspot uh, is defunct. So maybe it, uh, maybe it disappeared. Who knows? But uh, anyways, I was doing that for a while. And uh, then this company called SB Nation was, was forming up. Uh, I believe it was uh, the folks at Daily Coast had decided that they were going to do a sports site or something along those lines. It was kind of built on the same platform. And, uh, and there was a and they went out and tried to find some people that were already writing about specific teams. And, and, uh, this was back in boy, 2002 or three. So, so you kind of still, when, when things were, were in their infancy in terms of, of, uh, blogging and, and, and writing on the, on the web and just kind of the, the democratization of the web itself. Uh, so I, I was approached about, you know, starting a blog and they're like, Hey, you know, perhaps you might even get a little money out of it. And I was like, Hey, great. I do it for free anyways. So whatever. Uh, so I, I signed on and that blog became Blazer's Edge. Uh, I did that for about a year and a half, I think, while I was also working uh, at the Statesman Journal, working on their sports desk at night. And while I was working days, my full-time job was working at Lynn Benton Community College, 
uh, doing media services. So uh, distance education, installing projectors, uh, installing AV equipment, uh, helping uh, professors utilize technology in their in their classes, so on and so forth. Um, so I, have, I have a quick question. Do you remember what your original blog was called? I think it was just called Blazers Basketball. Um, it, it was whatever the available URL on the Blogspot platform was. Um, I mean, and that was a really long time ago. Like, how did you explain to people what you were? Were they like a blog? What's that? I mean, was it? It was a long time ago. <laughs> well, for the most part, I didn't tell people. You know, like I just wrote it. Like, well, and to your point, like I still have to explain to my my father. I think pretty much understands what I do. My mom, I think, is still pretty much kind of in the dark about what exactly <laughs> it is that I do and and how exactly I get paid for doing what I do. So to answer your question, it's still even now it requires some some explanation. But hey man, uh, it's me being on a TV for my for my friends and family to figure it out. So I, I yeah I, no exactly that helps. Understand it. <laughs> Absolutely. What my thing like I was always inspired by this blog. It was called Supersonic Soul. And it was like three guys who wrote it, who basically just cracked jokes about the team, and and I always thought it just had a, it had a nice way about it, and that's kind of what I tried to to kind of the lane I kind of tried to pick, um, along with you know just the general fan disposition, and you know as you guys know, being a Blazer fan is is a, a nonstop roller coaster, so there's you know there's always a lot of content there. Well, and then what was it like going from, you know, having complete and total control over writing whatever the heck you felt like and, you know, cracking bad jokes or whatever to like going and having to, I don't, I don't know if more professional is like the way you would say it, but did you have to make that kind of a transition? And do you remember what that was like? Well, so from, from Blazer's Edge, I ended up taking a job uh, with the Oregonian World, OregonLive.com. And this was back when Oregon Live and the Oregonian were completely separate. I mean, there was some like we were in a completely different office. The people who worked at the Oregonian hated us. Uh, <laughs> we got paid like a quarter of what they got paid. Um, so at that, so I took that job uh, doing high school sports coverage. So, so it was really there were and well, in between the Statesman Journal and and working in Oregon Live and also having a degree in journalism from the University of Oregon. You know, I, I already had a background in journalism. Um, so it wasn't like I mean, like well, I was writing some pretty wild and and probably in some respects disrespectful stuff back in in my Blazers Edge days, but but I I felt like it at least had a, somewhat of a veneer of professionalism to it. So so when I did transition more into it being a, a job as it was at Oregon Live, uh, you know, a lot of uh, initially that was for high school sports. So you know, it's you know you're not you're not going to crack jokes about high school kids, and you know you, you basically got to cover it straight up because. You know, their their parents are interested in reading about the games. And, you know, again, like the when you're covering that group, it's, you know, you, some of the 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 snark and and, you know, maybe just some of the 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 pestering and the teasing and the needling you, you really wouldn't do. So it, so in that regard, it like it didn't didn't really afford that opportunity anyway. So that was that was pretty easy. And you when I did my list of, of the Oregon Live forums, just didn't didn't want to didn't want to tease it. Well, I mean, I, I did spend some time in those forums, uh, and actually, the the I believe the death of the forums actually came down to high school sports uh, a lot of a lot because I mean, you, I could not explain to you guys how uh, back then, you know, this is before Twitter. Pro oh yeah, I, I remember how bad those were. 
Well, and they were bad. And and what I'm saying though is that while the forums themselves were bad, like the the complaints we would get from the high schools about those forums was nonstop. So so what I'm getting at to where where now like if a bunch of high schoolers want to get together and talk trash about each other, they go on Twitter or on, on Snapchat or on Instagram and they do it there. But back then they did it on the forums and we would have the school administrators, coaches, the teachers calling and complaining and saying, how could you, how can you provide this forum for these people? They're jerks. They're saying all these awful things. We're not going to let you onto our campus. We're not going to let you cover our events. We're not going to cooperate with you at all. And it, to go from that to where it's like, now it's, it's there. There is no moderation, you know. Like it. It is. It, it's everything is out there, and, and and there's no stopping it. Like it, it just. It always makes me kind of smile when I think back in those times. To think like people were fighting against a, a tidal wave, you know, with like an oar, and, yeah. and like they had no chance whatsoever. They had no idea what was coming, and the complaints that they had then wouldn't even register now in terms of kind of the the things that happen online. The severity um, of it. Yeah, exactly. It's very and just you know, kind of the. I mean, it, it's a positive tool, obviously, as well. But just the uh, some of the some of the negativity on it, it w- would never be something. It w- the things that make social now would be things that we would have well moderated out of the uh, out of the the message boards way back in the Oregon Live days. But yeah, that especially the Blazers that Blazers message board uh, on Oregon Live is. I mean, I think that you know <laughs> that's it, it's a pretty good encapsulation of of what it's like to be a Blazer fan. And, you know, I, I think it definitely served a purpose. And, you know, the Rip City 2 uh, sports forum still exists now on, on our platform, actually, and does pretty well. And I, I don't get in there as often as I would like to, actually. But, it, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's some value to that still. Now, when did you transition from the Oregonian to the Trailblazers? Uh, that must have been, that was 2007, I believe. I, I, if memory serves, I... My first day with the Blazers was, I think, like December twelfth, two thousand seven. So it was right after, it, it was after the Odin draft. Okay. Uh, and at this point in time, it, you know, this is when they really were like, "All right, we need to kind of ramp up what we're doing digitally because you know we're the 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 expectation and the hope is that we you know we we got this group of, of players and Brandon Roy, Marcus Aldridge, and Greg Odin, and and to a lesser extent, you know, a guy Nicholas Batum. Like we're going to be good. You know, we're we're going to need to really kind of throw a, a lot of content here. And as you guys are probably aware, and got talked about a lot after he passed, uh, Paul Allen was, was always kind of at the forefront of, of sports information on the web and using the web as a way to disseminate uh, information in terms of, particularly in terms of sports, you know, him creating basically the ESPN website. So there was always a, an interest there from the organization to be like, Hey, we need to be telling our story and we need to, we need to be out in front of some of these technological advances that we think are going to really kind of explode as, as the years go on. So it, obviously the, after the Odin draft, it just kind of makes sense to, to try to bring in some more people at this point in time, uh, Jim Taylor, who is now in charge of our, our basketball public relations, he was kind of doing a lot of the stuff that I do now to a lesser extent, but his, his, his title was, a, was blazers evangelist. And he, you know, and he would write some stories and this was back when, when the team was really kind of in the in the doldrums of, of the jailblazer era when you know no one cared about the team people weren't covering the team whatever coverage they got was was negative and you know for for a good reason uh and so when when jim transitioned back into more of a pr role they were like well we need to bring in someone else to kind of fill that void and uh you know they approached me about about doing it and i kicked the tires on it for a little bit and decided that 
you know, I, I really enjoyed working at Oregon Live. I, I really like the people there. I, a lot of the people who are still there are people I worked with, Ben Sherman, Tim Brown, Sean Mager, uh, all, all great dudes. But, uh, you know, the, work, the opportunity to work for a team and to, to really work with the athletes on a one-to-one basis and to, to travel and, and to, to see other NBA cities and other arenas and, and just kind of get immersed in, in what it's actually like to, to, to work for and to travel with an NBA team was, was kind of too much to pass up. So I took it and uh, been there ever since. And this is like the time that you guys, it kind of spun up the, like the I'm a trailblazers fan.com and stuff like that too. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. As, as you mentioned, yeah, the I'm trailblazers fan.com was, you know, we, we, we went far enough to think like, Hey, let's create our own social network that, uh, that we can have for blazer fans to, to interact on, which, you know, it was a pretty good idea. I think a, a too big of an undertaking for a, for a franchise, I think. And as, as time went on, I think we found out that, you know, as, as I'm sure the people at, at Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and wherever else can attest to, you know, the, those social networks, they, they seem like such a simple idea. It's like Twitter seems like a real simple idea, you know, like it's like, Hey, you, you write a few characters in, in a post and it's kind of like a test message that everyone gets, but you know, the back end of that stuff and then the administration of that kind of stuff uh, really starts to get difficult as it expands. It's hard to scale, uh, as I think, you know, we're, we're seeing right now with some of the, the issues that the multinational multi- the social media companies are having in terms of data and yeah. privacy and, and all those things. So I think at a certain point, we're like, you know what, this this was a good idea. We're not really up to the task. So we got to we got to cut bait on it. But that that did kind of kind of get us in place for for being ready for what was coming in terms of social. And as I mentioned, you know, we've always been a forward-facing team. Dan Harbison, uh, who's not with the team anymore, works at Jordan Brand now, was, was really out in front of that stuff in terms of of know and just seeing and, and recognizing the importance of social, particularly Twitter, uh, and to a lesser extent Facebook, uh, was going to be going forward. And so, you know, again, working for Paul Allen, there's always that that desire and that that want to to kind of keep pushing those things and keep exploring those spaces, which you know has always made the Blazers a, a great team to work for in terms of digital, because there's there's always been that that drive to to innovate and to to do different things because it came from the top. You know, if you have if you have ownership that doesn't really care about that stuff, it's kind of hard to make that pitch in those meetings to to get budget for for those for those resources and for those FTEs and and for the you know, some of the technological pieces that may or may not ever produce anything, you know, it's some of it, you gotta, you gotta kind of take a chance on it. And when you work for an organization, you know, like we, like I have with, you know, obviously Paula not being around anymore, but with that being so important to him, it, it made the Blazers a, a really fun place to work because we could try different things. We could make mistakes and we still do that now under, under Dwayne Hankins. Dwayne is a phenomenal boss to work for because he basically, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've done throughout the years that people have really enjoyed on social, you know, we, we, We've gotten pushback on some of it, some of it from the league, some of it from people within the organization, you know, but but having a a manager and a VP that's willing to be like, yeah, you know, people are going to complain about some of this stuff, but it's also going to benefit us in the long run like that. That's hard to come by. And, and you know, so I feel like I've been real lucky in my career to to work for people that, that are really willing to kind of to take some chances and to to put themselves out there and to to kind of do for their employees and to protect their employees as well. Because I think we've seen throughout the years uh, in the NBA, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen a lot, but every now and then, and the, the situation I'm thinking of is, is a few years back uh, with the, with the Rockets and the Mavericks in that series when they had the tweet with the gun the force or something like that. Maybe ever. Yeah. It's like, you know, someone lost their job over that. And it's like, really? Like, is that really worth it? Like maybe it was stupid or maybe it didn't work, but one, it got a whole lot of people talking and two, like, 
when you don't have strong management, those kind of things basically get people fired. And then in those situations, the next time you're in that, that, that decision point to be like, are we going to kind of try to push this a little bit or should we come back? The thing that's in everyone's mind is like, well, that guy got fired last time, so I, I don't want to put my job on the line to do this. So yeah. uh, I guess basically long story short, what I'm getting to is that from an organizational perspective, the Blazers have always been really serious about, you know, being in that space digitally. And, you know, for someone who's who's worked for them for years and years and years now, it's always it's been a it's been a bonus. I mean, that that shows through the the, the people you guys have had there too, alongside you. Uh, Chris, Cody, now Amara. I mean, the stuff that, that you guys have kind of constantly put out. And for anybody not well-versed in the, the Twitter side of things, I know there's a lot of people that, that don't really interact via Twitter but still follow here or, or Facebook or other other medias. I mean, I, the one that always comes back for me is the whole, obviously, Chandler Parsons, CJ thing. Yeah. And, and the league didn't exactly like that, right? No, no, they did not. And that I, I, I was actually thinking about that the other day. When, so we were talking about on the Rip City Report about I was I was making the case that the NBA needs to get back to letting guys fight from time to time because I felt like some of the, you know, kind of some of the snipping and the and the sniping and, and kind of some of the tough guy act that we see from guys now, like you might be able to get that out of the game a little bit if every now and then if a guy got out of the line, you were able to, you know, pop him in the face. Uh, and and. I just lost where I was going with that. I know, but you know what? Speaking of fighting, if I could have, I would have jumped down onto the court and punched Grayson Allen on Wednesday night for clocking Alfred. By the way, too, I I didn't want to put this out there because I don't want to put anyone on blast, but uh, I feel like podcasts are a good place to do this. There were multiple people on press row that were like, that's not a flagrant foul. I was like, are you kidding? He just he elbowed the guy in the face like he he led with his elbows and they're like well what's he supposed to do he's just defending himself I was like what what do you I, I don't understand this argument that for the that elbowing a guy in the face is Casey give me their names I will I will address each one of these people individually I'm not go, I'm not going that far but all I'm saying is <laughs> is that it was I, I there there was I, there's a, a uh, there's a pretty uh. You know, I, I think some people are a little tired of of seeing some guys on the team maybe maybe flop around a bit and maybe not believe it so much when they're getting hit in the face that they're being genuine about the uh, the pain that they're experiencing. So I think there's a little bit of that involved too. But, but you know, it, it's one of those things where I was like, I, I know the guys kind of ham it up a little bit and they and they're definitely you know putting on a bit of an act from time to time to to get the benefit of the doubt, but. Al Farouk just got elbowed in the face by Grayson Allen, a guy whose yeah. whose reputation more than precedes him. So let's uh, let's not try to figure out a way that this wasn't a flagrant foul. Let's just maybe accept it for what I it is. I had the perfect angle on that one, and I am probably outside of his own family, the biggest Al Farouk Aminu fan there is. And I was about ready. Like the people behind me were like, "Whoa, she's a little." <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just – I'm not into violence at all, but if there was any a time that I was thinking about it, that would have been that. Well, anyway, let's turn to that game on Wednesday night because I could ask you questions about the Blazers forever and ever. But for a really quiet time in the Blazers' schedule, there's still lots to talk about. Um, so we sh- let's talk briefly about that game on Wednesday night. Myers Leonard got the start. The Blazers got a win, like a big-time win over Utah – what are you guys' thoughts on you know what we learned from that game? 
Well, I, I think for me, one, I was really happy to see Myers go out and have a have a great game. I, I we were talking about today. I think that might have been at least in terms of of his production and the situation uh, that might have been one of Myers' best games of his career. Period. Uh, I think it, it instantly qualifies as one of the best, if not the best, this season. But you know, for Myers to come in as a starter against a Utah, very good Utah Jazz team with Rudy Gobert, arguably one of, if not, well, he's not the best center in the league, but definitely right up there. And a guy who has given the Blazers fits from time to time, you know, for Myers to come into that game, play as well as he did and, and be able to stretch, force Gobert to kind of get away from the, from the rim by using his shooting. I, I think that game for me was like, that is what the team had in mind when they signed Myers. You know, if, if he could play that well, every single game. And I'm not saying that, that necessarily that's even the expectation, but it's like you, you, you understand what the team was getting at when they signed that deal with Myers to where if, if he was able to start, you know, even 60 games and play anywhere close to the way he played versus the jazz, like that would have changed a whole lot of the way that people view Myers and the way that people view this team. Um, so for me, that was one of the biggest takeaways and two, just, you know, to, to see the Blazers come out again and, and put on a good performance against a good team, I feel like that's been kind of a, a knock on them, and rightfully so this season, is that while they, they have a good overall record, their record against teams in the West and their record against good teams in the West is, is not what you would like to see it. You know, to go out and, and have a, a really a, a dominant performance is against a very good team in the Utah Jazz that, have all, that haven't lost to anyone in the last three weeks except for the Blazers, I, I think kind of speaks to to their growth and and at least for me personally it 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 gives me a little little more faith in this team than I think I probably had say three weeks ago yeah I I think I'm kind of feeling the same way I mean if I, I'm sure you're familiar with me just constantly bemoaning everything Casey so <laughs> I'm right there with you so I, I mean yeah I mean I, I'm a pessimist pessimist and I, honestly I look at that game everything you touched on is that I think that was Arguably their best win of the season. Utah playing probably their best basketball coming into that game, nine and one in their last ten games. Donovan Mitchell had been on an absolute tear. Um, thirty points, what seven or seven, six, seven assists, five rebounds a game. And then you've got Gobert, who, I mean, obviously with the news today of not making the All Star team, it was a rough week for Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you look you look at what it, what it meant, uh, how Utah had really handled Portland in the past. Uh, obviously, the Blazers got had gotten one win before that. It's, everything kind of stacked up against, and then all of a sudden, you find out Nurk's got knee trouble, and you're like, wait, wait, where, where'd this come from? And you're, you're kind of on shaky ground because you're wondering how you're gonna see Portland handle Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert going down the barrel over and over again. And even though Rudy goes seven of nine and Mitchell goes eight of 16, I thought the two guys who I think in the past have carried a lot of stick for defensive shortcomings and Damon and Myers had some of their best pick and roll coverage I've ever seen from them. Like you, you get elite guys like Mitchell and Gobert at, you know, off that pick and roll who, even though they were hitting shots, both those guys were doing everything they needed to do. The communication was there. Like, and it, and it felt like they'd been doing it forever. Like that was, that was the starting lineup that we'd seen between, you know, like Dame and Nerf and for Myers to step up in, in that manner and contribute the way he did defensively was, I think the, the, the thing to me that, that came more to the front, because I think offensively, at least for me, I know what Myers can do. Myers can shoot the rock. I mean, the, the, hands down, anybody who, 
still wants to get out there on Twitter, on Facebook, or any forum, Reddit, and talk about how Myers is a bum and can't do this is it, to the point of just ridiculous. And it's like the dude can shoot, get him a lob. Let's see what he can do defensively. That, that's that's the only time I ever want to see where Myers measures up. And those two guys on the defensive side were were phenomenal for me. Also, Zach Collins, as much stick as I gave him, got absolutely robbed of one of the best <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. And Bruce captured probably one of the nastiest pictures I have ever seen. Uh, I think it was Zach's PR rep were, were replied to a tweet. I said, <laughs> I said that Zach needed to have this frame. She's like, absolutely, Bruce, where can I get a copy of this? I mean, that, that was – I mean, you, you tick all the boxes in that game. That's realistically, everybody contributed. The offense was there. The defense was there. They, they had a clean game turnover-wise. If you look at – if you really have to hunt for something that's, that's a negative, is, I, I guess you can maybe say Seth not being quite aware of that rebound. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't mind that so much either. I, because I, they were already like, it was already starting to get a bit ragged, you know. And and if a, if a rebound comes to you, it's like the idea, of, like I'm going to put my hands up and and not grab it, like that. That's not the way to go. So I, I appreciate that Damien didn't didn't get upset about that, and I appreciate. That. I mean, according to Damien, after the game, he told Terry to take him out because he already felt like things were were kind of going both sideways. Yeah. Well, one of the things too, I. He- Oh, well, I, I just wanted to mention this because I didn't get to report it out, um, and it's it's kind of a mystery. But, but since we're talking about the Jazz, so in those first two Jazz games, Blazers got beat pretty pretty soundly. Yeah. Uh, the the third one was in Utah a couple weeks back, um, and Dwight James uh, after shoot around in Utah asked Terry, he was like, "Hey, you know, are you guys going to going to make any changes after you know basically you really." They they really took it to you two times, and Terry's like, "Yeah, we we're making one, we're making a defensive tweak. It's a minor one, but we're going to see how it goes." And then they go out and they win that next game versus the Jazz. And then Danny, to your point, they go out and have a really nice defensive game against the Jazz at home. And none of us who were there remembered to ask Terry what that tweak was. So <laughs> they did change something defensively <laughs> from the first two games versus Utah, from the second two games in Utah. Uh, but we don't know what it is. So, and and there's a pretty good chance that Terry wouldn't tell us anyways. But to no. for the, for those who wonder, like, are they making are they making tweaks? Are they making changes? Are they really paying attention to what's happening in one game and then applying it to the next? Yes, they are. And I don't know necessarily that you can you can chalk up what they did in their last two games versus Utah to whatever that defensive tweak was. But it might have played at least a small role in it. Whatever it was, it made Quinn Snyder age ten years in the span of four years. <laughs> I, 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 I need to go back and watch it, but I, I wonder if it was where Nurkic was playing up high. Like he was playing up high in a couple. I think he was playing. He was either playing up high in the first couple of games and then moved down low, or he was playing down low and moved up high. I don't know. That's that's my guess. That's what I would go back and look at first. Yeah, I, I would say it probably had something to do with Nurkic. That that would also be my guess. But again, I, I'd really have to go back and kind of kind of do some comparisons. But he, I might just ask him the next time we have practice and see if he'll, he'll fess up to it. <laughs> I would say my favorite part about the Utah game was I thought Stotts was absolutely masterful in his late decision about, or I don't know who made that decision, but whoever decided to delay the re- reveal that Nurkic wasn't going to be playing for a super long time, I thought that was the key to the whole game because I admire Rudy Gobert a lot. I love how he plays, but I remember a couple of years ago reading an article about him 
and thinking, you know, wow, this guy is really good, but he's also like really high maintenance and he's worth it. But everybody around him, like he likes to know what's happening. He likes to know what's going on. He just he's just somebody who doesn't he always through that reading that article, he struck me as a guy who doesn't like surprises. And so whoever waited until the very last second to scratch Nurkic and put in Myers, I was just I was so excited to like see the look on Rudy Goes Bear's face when he stepped out there and he looked up and instead of Yusuf Nurkic, it was Myers Leonard that he had to go against. Because <laughs> I really think that threw him off. I mean he still he still played well, but he was like, I gotta go out to the three point line now. Like it just Took his took him all out of the game, and I think that just had a cascading effect. And I think credit should go to the, whoever delayed that reveal as well, long as possible. A, a couple things there. I, I think I think you're right on. I mean, because the Jazz had I think three days off before that game. So if you know if they know that Nurkic isn't playing even a day in advance, that probably changes some of their preparation and some of their scouts. So I, I think you're you're onto something there. The second thing I would say is that in general, the Blazers play all injuries incredibly close to the vest <laughs> they don't give us any information about anything so when something happens and they're like boy and people are like boy this Nurkic knee injury just kind of came out of nowhere it's like well probably not because the thing is like they just don't tell us anything until they absolutely have to and yeah. while I know that that pisses off the gamblers and particularly the the daily fantasy folks and you know I've tried throughout the years to help out as much as I can but you know they, they tend to get pretty upset about those things and I understand it but to your to your point, like there is a slight competitive advantage in basically not letting the opponent know who's going to be out there until the last possible second. Now, is it is it going to win you a game? Eh, probably not. But it, if you think about it, like what's the what is the advantage for you from a competitive perspective in letting your opponent know who is and isn't going to be playing? There is no advantage, and in some respects, you could say that it's a disadvantage. At the very least, there is no disadvantage in not letting your opponent know who's going to be out there until the last minute. So while I know that that if you're trying to lay a bet or if you're trying to set your fantasy lineup, I, I realize that, that that's not going to be great for you. But if it's going to help the Trailblazers at all and you're a fan of the team, I'd probably just uh, grin and bear it on that one. I am all for that strategy. I got one more question about that game on Wednesday, and I think it'll segue into the next topic. Did you see? Did you guys catch the in arena tribute to Nick Stauskas video? Yes, I I what did. <laughs> well, no, no. So so what those are? Those are uh, it, that's a sponsored element, and I believe is is sponsored by Gatorade. And so basically, the way it works, it, it's not a tribute so much as it's just kind of like a highlight package for that player. And, and I did even know when I was talking to Amar, I was like, yeah, probably not great timing on that Stauskas package, considering he's not really playing right now. <laughs> Um, but no, those are basically scheduled out in advance. And so, you know, it was whatever, whatever night it was, it's like, that was the Nick Stauskas Gatorade performance jumbo screen yeah. element in the game. So, so yeah, that would, that, that and, and again, like the, they are pretty typically decent videos. Um, but having it for a guy who's not really in the rotation at the time, uh, kind of a, a little bit of a bummer there, There's but I, I, video I got told yeah, no, yeah. so I was like, right on Nick. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. Is his birthday? And then I was like, of course I went to my conspiracy theory, which was like, oh, if there's scouts from other teams in here are seeing the Nick Stauskas video, they'll be like, we want Nick Stauskas on our team. And that'll start the whole <laughs> trade rumors. <laughs> so it probably wasn't that, but it's that time of year. Right. And does that, yeah. can you guys yeah. tell me with a straight face that you don't, go to conspiracy theories every time you hear someone's injured you know having worked for the team for as long as i have like i i really don't because i know 
for the most part, one, trades are generally the least likely option. Mm-hmm. And, and two, like, <laughs> you know, I, I hope this doesn't make the team look bad or anything, but, you know, to, to your point, like, we don't have that level of coordination, you know, like the idea that like the idea that like we're planning these things in advance that far. And like with that kind of like intelligence, I wish I could say that we operated like that, but we just don't like. So some of the, the things that people put together because they're like, well, this makes sense. So so this kind of must be where the direction they're going. And like a lot of times I'm like, yeah, if we really had our ducks in a row, maybe we would do something like that. But like we we do not have that much time and particularly that level of coordination between the business side and the basketball side to really pull off stuff like that. And, and again, and so to, to your question as well, in terms of injuries, I, I, I know that there are a lot of people that are like, whoa, boy, is, is Nurkic really injured? Are they, are they holding him out because it's a trade? Like those are the kind of things where like I mentioned that to one of our PR guys. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you know, because the trade deadline's coming up and, you know, Nurkic hadn't missed any games and now he is missing a game. And he was like, really, people, people think that? And I was like, yeah, you know, and so later on he texted me. He's like, hey, can you can you send me a link to some of those rumors? And I was like, I don't even think they're actually rumors. It's just people that are kind of putting two and two together to say, like, well, if a guy's missing a game, it's near the deadline. Yeah, maybe something's going on. But I and and so to to your point, like people in the organization, we don't really we don't think like that because it's like we're just trying to get to the next game. You know, it's day to day. And so the the, the idea that like there's a there's like this grand like plan that we're going to execute to to misdirect or to to kind of tip the hand like again it's just i i wish we were that good at, at this at this job and i don't know if any team is really but i, I wish we were. you hit on right there is the the, the tipping the hand Wh- whether or not people have agreed with moves in the past or in, in, under this current group one thing that has been along with injuries the organization runs the tightest ship in the league this this team is never going to tip their hand on a trade. You will no. ne- you will never get leaks. You will never get you know. Oh, oh hey, we're going to arrest this guy because he's getting moved. Like that's just that's not how how this front office on the basketball side has worked under Neil Olshay. No, and, and I remember way back when Neil took the job initially. You know, we the, every once a year we get together at the beginning of the season. I think maybe Danny, you've even been in one of these one or two of these meetings mm-hmm. where you know you get together with the front office and they, you know people who work for the team we probably they probably maybe lay things out a little bit differently than maybe they would for for outside media but but you know just kind of like a general off the record Q&A to where you can kind of get a sense of of kind of where the front office's head is at and kind of what their expectations for the season are so so that way you can you know maybe help along a little bit tell some of the stories while also maybe not stepping in something that's going to going to get you in trouble and i remember one time in particular it was the first time that kind of we sat down with Neil O'Shea he was like look I, I don't know exactly the way that things ran here before, but the notion that you have information that you can tell someone else, that's done. We do not do that. So the idea that like if you know something and you tell that to somebody else thinking that like maybe you'll get some information out of them and maybe you can pass that along. He's like, no, I don't want that help. I'm not trying to hear it. That is not your pay, your place or your position. Do not do it. So, I mean, like, it, it really has been a, an organizational thing, whereas before, like, Kevin Pritchard was a guy who, you know, he, stuff would get out there, and, you know, you could sometimes kind of assume where it came from. And Neil O'Shea, that is not the case. Like, I think he is I mean, not everyone knows that. No, I think everyone knows that, that Neil has a few guys that he, that he deals with, and everything else is, and even those guys, he basically only gives them stuff when stuff is basically squared away, when it's done. 
So, I mean, it's, that's just not the way they work. So at this time of year, whenever I see something come out, it's like, if it's from basically anyone, but one or two guys, I know that if nothing else, it didn't come out of Portland. That doesn't mean it's not true, but, but I know that at that point, like, I need to consider who is benefiting from this idea because I know that at least it didn't come from the trailblazers. To that point, I, I don't want to make you comment on any particular one in, in like right now, but the one that comes to mind is uh, a couple weeks ago, the Atlanta Hawks talking about the Blazers. Yeah. We're kicking around Jeremy Lin. And I, if you're listening to this, is, this is where you, one of those things where if you're looking at rumors that involve Portland, you have to look at who who's benefiting from this. The, the Blazers are are the deepest at their guard position, right? Yeah, they're they're deep at the position, as you well know, Danny. Like the idea of taking back salary, even if it's expiring, is still like, uh, are they really going to do that? Like it makes no it makes no sense whatsoever. So like that's that for me is the it's that one, and then I think the someone had floated the Gasol idea too. It's like yeah, but how, it doesn't. I don't get that. Like what what sense does that make? And so when you know, as a fan, like. I, I know on one hand it's fun to read anyways and it's sports. So it's like, so who cares? You know, like it's the, the stakes are incredibly low. So, so, you know, if you want to kind of delve into that, that kind of speculation, then what's the big deal? Because it's not, you know, no one's getting hurt for the most part, but you know, when you work in the industry, it's like, do I really have to deal with this stuff? Like, do I really <laughs> have to answer this? Because you guys have to know that this is, this is Bush league. Right. And, and again, it's like, if it had come from, Someone else, you know, maybe a guy who's a bit more who, who breaks Blazers news on a consistent basis. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that, and maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna kick a few things around and see if uh, that's something I need to get ready for, or see if there's there's any way that I can maybe get in in terms of of, of some extra intel on that. But if it if it's saved from that and saved from someone in the actual organization telling me something that's going to happen, I I, I just spending time on it seems kind of like a waste. I, there's other places to get that stuff, I guess. You've been around for a couple of in-season trades. What What is that like? Like, is do you have any good chaos, trade chaos stories or anything? You know, it, it's, it, it's not some, when I used to work in the office and when I did more of what I do now and also more of kind of the back-end website administration, you know, those were always the, the difficult days because, you know, particularly in our in our previous uh, management uh, on the business side, there was always this idea that it's like we trade a guy, everything has to be wiped off the the site that had that guy in it, which I always thought was weird because it's like people people know he was on the team, like the like we don't have to like try to erase the memory of this or anything, like we just need to to move forward knowing that this guy isn't playing for us anymore. Uh, but you know, we haven't had a, a lot of like huge trades ar- around the deadline, and even so, like you know, even the the Plumley trade for for Yusuf Nurkic, which which really kind of came out of nowhere, you know, it's there. There's definitely a lot of stuff to do, but but again, this is one of those situations where when you work for the team, it while the journalistic side of you really wants to kind of get that stuff out there, you also need to take a step back because if you put something out there before it's approved, or if you put it out there and the NBA sees it and it might at all endanger the decision or the move the team is making. Like that's a, that's a really bad place to be. So as a team employee, a lot of times in those trade situations, while everyone else on the outside is really furiously trying to get their story up, trying to get a quote, trying to get confirmation, you know, those of us who who work for the team, it's really more of a, 
let's pump the brakes a little bit here and, and wait till we get to the other side after it is officially announced that we can really kind of start to to really put in the work that we need to, to put in to to get the views and, and to get the interest up for for this transaction. So it, it's not as it's not as crazy as I think some people assume it is. I will say draft used to draft used to be pretty, pretty wild because, you know, back in the in the Pritchard days when they were, you know, whatever that draft was, that they had like four or five trades. Been like Those are the ones where like it's really hard to keep track of even who's on the team anymore and who is going to be on the team. And if and trades are also another thing at the draft where the NBA has really started to tighten down on, on what you can and can't report. And if you put something out there before it's actually official, you know, or is that going to come back or are you, you going to have to hear about that from the league? So, you know, it's it, it behooves you to actually kind of take a take a breath and kind of survey the, the situation rather than kind of jump in with two feet because it you, you can get yourself in a bit of in a bit of hot water from time to time. I will say to my only my only good trade deadline story, and this is before I worked for the team. Uh, was back when I worked for Oregon Live, we used to have a uh, a weekly, I guess it would have been a podcast. We didn't call it a podcast then because I don't know that the word even existed, but they were called the, the Quick Chat. So every week, uh, Jason Quick would, we'd call in and, and people would send in questions from the forum and, you know, we would do like a live streamed show and Jason would answer the questions. And from time to time, we would have different different guests on. And in a, so 2007, must have been at the February 2007 deadline, uh, I was doing a, a chat with Peter Vesey, uh, Gaudi NBA Hall of Famer Peter Vesey, by the way. Uh, and I asked him, there was, a, there was a rumor about Juan Dixon getting traded for Freddie Jones. And Freddie Jones, I believe, was with the Knicks at the time, Juan Dixon with the Blazers. And Pete Vesey, based out of New York, he's like, no, that's complete BS. It's not happening. That's a complete fabrication. 100% that is not happening. Five minutes later, Juan Dixon gets traded to to the New York Knicks for Freddie Jones to Portland. So it was one of those things where it's like even the guys who are well thought of and have connections and are Hall of Famers now, those guys get stuff wrong all the time, too. So it's, so I, I've noticed throughout the years, too, I, you know, and I do this as well. We kind of ride guys from time to time when they get stuff wrong. And you keep reminding them of it. Um, but, you know, if you do this job long enough, you're, you're going to miss on a few things. And sure, sure. if you're like myself, you're going to miss on a lot of things. So, you know, it's, uh, it's always worth keeping that perspective. All right. With, with, with trades in mind, we have to kind of remind everybody what, what, what's, what's on the line between you and I. Oh, yes, please do. So you believe – or let's do it this way. I believe that Portland is going to go status quo here, and they're going to make a move to get below the luxury tax line. And you mean status quo for how they've behaved in the past? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the luxury tax has existed for approximately 20 years, and the Blazers have paid it three times. And most of that was in the early 2000s. With the passing of Paul, the way the, everything kind of sits right now, I just I have a hard time believing that they will go away from that. You disagree. I, I do disagree. Uh, I, I think if there was a move to make that would allow them to shed some salary while also not losing a, a key piece, I, I completely agree with you, Danny. I think they would do that because that's what they did last year. You know, like they, they basically traded Noah Vonley for for cap room. I mean, I think Terry Stotts had even basically said as much the other day or about a no, that's when we played the Knicks. Um, so not the other day, but a little ways ago. Yeah. You know, it, it was basically it was a cap move. Like it, it wasn't about not want Noah around wasn't about not liking what he was doing. 
it was just, you know, they, they got to a point where they felt like having him on the roster was not worth the salary cap hit they were going to take. <laughs> so if there was a move like that out there, I think that they would do it. But I don't see that move. I, I think the guys that you would have to trade to get close to getting under the tax are guys that they are not going to trade for nothing. I, I, I mean, if you ask me, would they trade Alfru Camino? Sure. But I think they would want to get back a player to replace Alfru Camino. They wouldn't want to be getting back a player who doesn't make nearly as much money as he does unless, I mean, I, if he was a talented rookie, that'd be great. But the fact of the matter is you're not, no one's trading you those guys for a guy who's, who's, who's expiring. So, so I, and, and really to be perfectly honest, I think it's more likely they take on salary at this deadline than it is that they cut salary. I, I don't, I, I would say that neither happening is probably the most likely scenario. But, but again, like I was thinking about this when I was driving over after uh, feeding my sister-in-law's cats this afternoon that, you know, I thought that, that it was probably more likely that, that they would take on some money if given the opportunity than they would to cut it. Interesting. And okay. that, is the, that is the bet. And if, yes. if, if I win, then, uh, then Danny has to devote his first tweet of the day to how spectacular I am for a week mm-hmm. uh, and also has to make mention of it, I believe, on this here podcast. Correct. And, uh, and if I lose, I will do the same. I will, I will start for a week uh, my, my Twitter activity with a – with an ode to Danny and his intelligence and uh, all the other great things about him. And also on the Rip City Report, uh, a good devoted two to three minutes about uh, whatever Danny would like it to be about. But I was assuming it would just be general praise and, uh, and back padding. So uh, there you go. Congratulations is just fine. Yeah, I'm, so, yeah. I'm sorry to drag you into this, Sarah. I'm not, but, uh, but I did Boy. do it. Danny and I gotta tell you, Danny, making I, bets right and left. <laughs> I didn't tell Joe this either, by the way. So uh, <laughs> I might just have I might just have to spring it on him, which I do from time to time. Like every now and then, someone in the office would be like, "Hey, can you mention this on the Rip City Report?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, sure." And you know, we'll we'll be sitting down and be like, "Oh yeah, by the way, Joe, we need to do a couple reads about tickets and uh, uh, about the Blazer Pass uh, on uh, Comcast." So please go ahead and do that. So, oh, so you- it won't surprise. So it might surprise him a little bit. Bottom line. Oh, you you love those Blazers Pass reads just as much as I do. Come on, I, I absolutely man Blazers Pass. It, it's the best way to get your your Trailblazer games if uh, if you're not able to be in front of a TV. Uh, okay, I pass. get it. You guys are on TV and <laughs> no, whoa, 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 radio. I, I, let's slow down here, Tara. I am not on television. Uh, and Casey, I'm you're not on television more than I am, Casey. I mean, neither only, of us are only, on TV only, more than only Dan. in the background, Tara. I have not been a guest <laughs> on a television show that happens like once a year because I can't, get, I can't get booked on <gasps> the shows that Danny does for whatever reason. Whoa, 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 whoa. And Casey and I have talked about this. My show, Joe oh, Shane, is on Game Nights. Where is Casey at? Okay. I am at the arena. That's true. But all I'm you saying is I've never received feed. any I'm sure kind somebody's of... got the technology there. I was told one time it was because I wasn't an outsider. They're like, no, you, you're not an outsider. This is Blazers Outsider. I was like, well, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, that's not for me. Conflicting stories. Very <laughs> interesting. It's not yes. for me. Well, this is, a not, this, is not, um, this is not the uh, show for everybody to talk about their different media accomplishments. <laughs> this is the Blazers Edge podcast to talk about the Blazers. So I'm going to bring it back. Let's talk about some of the blazers or the rumors that are circulating out there and some of the actual moves that have taken place in the NBA. So I don't know where you guys want to start. Dan, let's do you want to just kind of Yeah, you know, let's just start with the big one. How how floored were you by the the Zinger trade, Casey? Uh quite floored. I, I was really surprised by that. Um because I 
to be I mean, specific, like I, you're talking about Christoph Porzingis to Dallas Mavericks, correct? Yes, exactly. To Dallas Mavericks for Dennis Smith Jr. and basically cap space. Um, yeah, I was I was surprised by it because I, I was kind of under the impression. I mean, I know that there had been kind of some some strife between Porzingis and, and the Knicks, um, but you know, I I kind of felt like well, there's there's no way that you would cut bait on that kind of talent at this point in his career. Like that, there's just no, there's no way you would do that for pennies. And exactly. And, and for, for again, for a guy, Dennis Smith jr. That the Knicks could have drafted last year if they wanted to. So, I mean, I, it, that one came out of left field for me and it, it bummed me out too, because I mean, I've always felt like Christoph Porzingis is a guy who, you know, I think it would be a long shot, obviously, but the Blazers, I don't know if you guys remember, the Blazers were the first team to interview Chris Stapps when he came to to Las Vegas for his basically the one workout that he did in the United States or his first workout. I remember he had like a crew following him and and Neil O'Shea and his staff were the first guys to interview with him, even though they had, I think in that draft, the Blazers were like 20 or something like that. So they were nowhere close to being near where, where Chris Stapps was going to go, but they still had interest. I know that Damian has really likes Chris Stapps for Zingas as well. I thought he was a guy who perhaps at some point in time the Blazers might be able to make a play for. And now with Dallas, that obviously will not be the case. Now, granted, if he follows through on his on his threat to sign the qualifying offer, then, you know, everything's back on the table at that point. You maybe try to get some space and see if, you know, after he comes back from that knee injury, maybe maybe you can make a play at some point in time. But I I, I was very surprised by it because it's just you, you don't figure that generational talent gets traded all that often. And and again, maybe. Maybe they're, the medical on Porzingis is that that knee is not healing the way they would like. But uh, assuming that he comes back all right from that ACL, which, in it, you know, I know he's one of the bigger guys to have that ACL injury. But, you know, the medical science has gotten to the point where an ACL is, is not that bad. Exactly. Guys come back from that. It's not like a anything close to a career ender. So, you know, the outside of that, like it just doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me unless you buy the narrative that the Knicks already feel very confident and or know for sure that they're going to be able to sign one or both of Kyrie Irving and or Kevin Durant. And again, like, I just can't, I can't buy that. Like maybe they got a shot at those guys. I I think that's feasible, but the idea that like, they know at this point that those guys are going to sign with them as someone has pointed out two of the kind of most fickle stars in the NBA. Like I, I can't buy that line of reasoning. I wish people would apply that kind of reasoning to the mistakes I make in my life. You know, like when I screw something up, I want someone to be like, oh, well, there's no way he would do something like that unless he already had a plan to to take advantage of it. Like, that's the way I want people to view view when I screw up. And I'm not saying Nick screwed up, but it's just the notion that like, well, there must be something else. There must be a reason why. Well, sometimes people just do stupid things because they do stupid things like that happens. So. I will be very interested how that shakes out. And yes, I was I was quite surprised. And for the for the Mavs to get him as well too. Just like like we need more like we need more talent in the Western Conference. Like it has to be harder at this point. I've been a steadfast. I believe in conferences. I do not think that they should go one through sixteen. But man, that trade the other yesterday had me rethinking it a little bit because I was like, man, if there's gonna (laughs) all the talent in the NBA is basically outside of Giannis is in the Western Conference at this point. So like. I don't know. Maybe they do need to do something because if you're going to win 45 games in the West and end up in 10th or 11th place and some team that you boat raced the two times you played them in the East is in the playoffs at a certain point, that just, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In my thinking with the uh, New York Knicks, I just don't, I'm, can you guys remember a time that a team has so enthusiastically dove into the tank 
I mean, <laughs> they're just they're I mean, really? wh- and why this year? This is not the year to do that. Well, free I mean, there's you have the of course you have Zion, but like the odds are different this year. So it just seems crazy to me that they've given up on all, you know, anything that was holding them together. And <laughs> they're just going to go all in on tanking. You've got the, the ability to land the, the number one pick in Zion, who's a generational guy, but you've also had, with Casey, you're touching on here, I mean, you've got Katie, you've got Kyrie. Um, well, I don't believe anything's done. If you, if you also don't believe that LeBron wasn't basically signed to Los Angeles before last summer, um, you're, you're not reading the tea leaves. Um, I, I would say I, I don't think it's done, but I think the reason New York was so committed to this is that they have some a pretty good inkling that one of those guys is is coming to New York, and, and the hope is that with that they can draw one of the others. Does that does that sound too far off for you, Casey? No, it, it doesn't. But for me, it's like then that that one better be Kevin Durant because because yeah. Kyrie Irving, while he is a phenomenal player, he I, I think he's. He's shown both in Cleveland and now, I, I don't know if you can make it definitive, but there are some inklings that he is not necessarily the guy that you can put at the head of your organization and say that Kyrie Irving is our leader. Now everyone follow him because it's not, that just doesn't really seem to be his, his, his MO. So, you know, if, if you're going to go all in like that, it better be for Durant because I don't, I don't know this necessarily worth it just for a guy like Kyrie, because again, like if you're going to Kyrie and you had Porzingis still, then sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not a bad little one, two punts. That might get you somewhere in the East, but if it's Kyrie and Kevin Knox and you know, you're holding out hope that you get Zion, which by the way, like just being the worst team in the NBA does not, it does not mean you're going to get that first pick. I don't, I see Knicks fans talking about Zion. Like it's like a foregone conclusion or something. And it's like, guys, like you, you realize that you're, that more often than not, the team with the best odds does not actually get the the number one pick. So, I mean, it's a either they know that they have those guys locked down, or it's an incredible gamble. And you know, I think <laughs> that, that <laughs> I, I don't know, like it, to to go that hard uh, on a on spec is that's a it's that'd be hanging them out Knicks, there. It's just wonderfully who the Knicks are, and I can't wait until. Kevin Durant ends up there because that'll be one good guy out of the West. We'll send him to the East and he can just do his thing in New York and that'll be fine. But what I want to know about really, though, is Anthony Davis and what you guys think is going to happen with him. My assumption is, like I've said this before, I said on the podcast today, like I have no idea whatsoever why the Pelicans would trade Anthony Davis right now. Like it, 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 I don't know a single benefit to trading Anthony Davis before the deadline on Thursday. Like what what could you possibly get now that you couldn't get in the off season or even into the season next year before the deadline? Like it the this idea that there's like a clicking t- or ticking clock is like that's all from the Lakers perspective. That is a complete media fabrication. Like there is no reason whatsoever for the Pelicans to to rush on this. So my assumption is that he probably gets dealt in the off season. I it, I, again, like I, I can't think of a single reason for for not waiting for a little bit. Joe had mentioned he's like, well, you know, you kind of have the specter hanging over the team. It's like, well, yeah, but that's already going to happen anyways. That's already happening now. Anthony Davis doesn't really seem to me like the kind of guy who's going to walk in that locker room and just start, you know, mfing guys. So I mean, like it. 
I, I don't know. I, I, I think it'll happen eventually, but I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. And if I was the Pelicans, I, I would imagine I could get a whole lot of a better deal than what the Lakers are sending me. Now, granted, you know, him claiming that he's only going to consider one or two teams might might make some teams skeptical to take that risk. But as, as we saw with Paul George, everyone was sure that he was going to go to Los Angeles. And I think that the way that that turned out has probably given some other teams some confidence that, hey, we should take a chance on this because, again, this guy is – He's not even a generational talent. He's even better than that. Like, if we have any chance whatsoever, we should go for it. So I, I'm not expecting anything to happen on this deadline. And I think, uh, you know, by time the after the draft, when everyone knows who's picking which, I think it might happen then. But uh, I wouldn't expect anything before that. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with Casey. There, there's no reason to do anything rash right now, uh, unless you're the Lakers. And we've seen that from Rich Paul, uh, now Anthony Davis's agent. LeBron's obviously best friend and his agent runs Clutch Sports, um, putting it out there. I mean, as we're recording this, there's there's more and more coming out via Twitter, via Anthony Davis's dad, Anthony Davis Sr., how his son shouldn't sign in Boston and won't sign in Boston because of how they treated Isaiah Thomas. I mean, it's, oh, it's come on. Oh, it's a full Good court. Grief. It's a full court press, baby. Yeah, it is a full court press right now when they are. They are trying – the Lakers are desperate. Here's the thing for, for everybody wondering why this matters so much for the Lakers. It's not just the other offers. They can't wait this through this year and then another year. LeBron will be 36 years old by the time AD's deal ends. So if they wait around – listen, I'm one of the biggest LeBron fans there is. He's a physical marvel. What just happened to him for the first time in his career? He's missed significant time due to injury. His body is getting to that point where it doesn't matter how Herculean he is. He's eventually going to break down. And the Lakers cannot afford to wait. So if you're the Pelicans, the media may be saying you don't have any leverage. But right now, you, you're basically waiting till the Lakers give everything. And if there's Even no, their there's, everything is it really anything? It's not that good. It's not no, much. Like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm Team Lonzo is trash. Like, that's, that's been me from day one, folks. Like, you're, you're preaching to the choir. But if you get the Lakers' best offer, that's the offer that you use against another team. What's your best offer? Sure. Yeah. I think that at some point in time, too, like, I, I don't, I think that whatever the Lakers reported offer would be, would probably be good enough to where you wouldn't just say, we're not doing anything. But the notion that, like, well, you got to do something. It's like, well, not if you're taking back salary that you don't really want in the first place, you know, <laughs> like at a, yeah. at, in, in some respects, you can be better off just letting a guy walk. I don't necessarily think that's this situation, but just the notion of like, we well, got, you got to get something for, for the guy he's leaving. It's like, well, sometimes you just take the cost savings and, and appreciate the time you had with that player and, and call it a day. So, but yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, if I was another team, I would take all this stuff they're saying that he's only going to resign with the Lakers. And if I felt like I had a good package and I had a good team around him, I would say, you know what? I'm going to call that bluff. We're going to take a chance. We're going to trade for you. And we're going to try to convince you to stay as, you know, the Raptors are doing with, with well, Kawhi right now. And okay, I think too, 18 like, it, months is an eternity. You can do so much in 18 months. I think people should be scrambling to get him. And the idea that the Pelicans aren't, you guys are so boring. <laughs> the <laughs> Pelicans aren't going to do anything. I'm so disappointed. I wanted your guys' like thoughts on, <laughs> on what they're going to happen. If the Pelicans do nothing, are they going to not play Anthony Davis? And if they don't let Anthony Davis play because they're worried about him getting injured, like how, how are, I mean, they already have a hard time getting anybody to come play with them. Are like, 
is anybody ever going to go play with them ever again if they watch them sit Anthony Davis and have him sit there and do nothing for half of a year? I mean, people, if, something's going to If gonna the money happen. is right, yes, they will. <laughs> Which is why the whole idea, like, oh, we, you, you treated Isaiah Thomas badly in Boston, so we don't want to go there, like, I, I don't buy that for one second. When, There's when a the money, when Isaiah the money Thomas is right. and Anthony Davis, though. No, 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 ab- absolutely. But I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that this idea that like players are watching closely to see how other players are being treated in these situations and then making decisions based off of that, I, I don't. I just don't think that really happens. It plays in the back all. of their mind, but it's not. These, these aren't deciding factors. You, if you're looking at something, you're looking more like generational issues within an organization. Knicks. <clears throat> Uh, <laughs> well, and Tara, to your point, like it, it, if I was the Pelicans right now, I would be pounding the pavement to move everybody else. I would be trying to get my team ready for what's next outside of Anthony Davis. So I would, and I think, you know, we've kind of heard this already that supposedly guys like Miritich, guys like uh, uh, the fellow whose name I'm escaping, who's uh, who was a Laker last year, uh, Randall. I, I mean, like, those are the supposedly, you know, those guys are being put out there. And again, if I was the Pelicans, that's what I would do right now. I wouldn't necessarily be like, let's trade Anthony Davis. I would say, let's start moving these guys that we might be able to, to get draft assets or young talent for. And then when the opportunity comes to, to maybe make a move for something bigger with AD, we'll make it at that time. And at that point in time, we will be ready to start our rebuild. You know, we, we can compile assets and hopefully get moving in the right direction when the best deal comes along for, for Davis, you know, that if, if I was the Pelicans, that's how I would be approaching the situation right now. I wouldn't worry about trading Anthony Davis until, you know, again, at least this off season, because it, you're not going to get the best offers. So you just sit him with an injury the whole year. I probably would. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, at a certain hey, point, it's like, do. yeah, no, I, I think that that makes sense to me. Like, yeah, you, if you're, if you know you're probably not going anywhere, which at this point, I think the Pelicans, if they're being honest with themselves, I, I think they probably know that, you know, even if, you know, AD hadn't had his, a trade request, that their chances of making the playoffs this season were probably, were getting slimmer and slimmer by the day. So I, I think when, when you know that's, that that's out there and a, and a likelihood, I think it probably makes some sense to, to prepare for what's next in their terms, the draft. So I mean I, you know, what 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 would be better for the for the Pelicans right now to to kind of fall further and further down the down the standings and maybe get a nice little draft pick to to add into what they're maybe hoping to do in the future or to you know have Anthony Davis play and win enough to maybe be in the conversation for the eighth seed I mean uh, with a guy who has already said he doesn't want to be with their organization anymore so I. I, I would sit him because yeah you don't want him to get injured and he put in the request you know like if he had kept it quiet. You keep playing if that's what he wants, and then when the deal comes up, you 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 execute it. But since they they've already put the business out on the street, it's like, well, then we don't have really any choice but to sit you because we can't risk you getting injured. I I, I, I I've held off on specifics for for one because I, I, I wanted to hit you on one, Casey, because it's it's not way out there, but I think it, it hits home for a lot of Blazers fans. We talked about the Porzingis trade. One of the guys that was moved in that deal was Wes Matthews. He's going to be bought out. How, do I think? Not, not dramatic that, pause. Yeah, I was going to say pregnant pause. No, I, I don't want to do the answer. Like, do you think the Blazers would go after him? You, you've been around West. You, you, you were here, obviously, when he was here. Does he fit what this team needs? And is he a, a guy that I think that can add enough to this team to, to see them push past that first round? 
You know, I, I don't think that West would be the difference between like getting out of the first round and not, but I, I do think he would help. I mean, you, you have a guy who, you know, is, is not the defender he once was, but, it, but is still a, a stout perimeter guy, a guy who's a, who's a, a nice three and D option um, who, who gives you a bit of not a, not a great handle, not a great finisher, but, a, but a guy who, you know, can put some, some pressure on a defense. And yeah, I mean, as a guy coming off the bench, Absolutely. The, the, but the things that, that make Wes Matthews such a great player are also the things that make Wes Matthews maybe kind of someone you have to consider when you're adding him to his team and that he wants to play. You know, like the idea that Wes at this point in his career is going to be satisfied being a bench guy, I don't know so much. The, the, the Wes Matthews I know is not a guy who would be content with that necessarily. So, and I'm not saying that that hasn't changed or maybe, you know, for a, for a season after being bought out that maybe he would accept something like that. But like the idea that, that Wes is ready to begin the kind of coasting off into the sunset of his career portion of his career. Like, I, I don't think he's there yet. You know, like Wes is one of those guys he's going to play till his legs fall off and he's going to be in practice every single day, trying to go at your guys and be like, Hey, I should be the one starting, not you. So you know, I, he's a guy who I, I have a great deal of respect for, who I like a lot, both professionally and personally. But I, I just don't know exactly how that fit would be. And, and you know, there, I think there was some uh, I think there was maybe some disagreements or at least some some hurt feelings, maybe with how things ended with with Wes here in Portland. So and Wes is a guy who has a long memory. Another <laughs> one of the things that makes him a great player is that, you know, he's a guy who who holds on to to things and, and uses them later on for motivation. So. You know, I, I don't know if, if if that would be something he would want to do. I think from the opposite perspective, I, I think that, you know, they like what they have right now in CJ and particularly with their reserve guards and and, and uh, Seth Curry and and to a lesser extent, he's not really a guard, but but Jake Lehman picked up some of those minutes and with uh, with Evan Turner. So I just don't I don't know if they would cut a guy to bring in a guy like Wes Matthews. I, I think that he could help any team, but I don't know that he would necessarily help you so much to where it's worth the the expense and just maybe some of the some of the minor issues that might come along with cutting one guy and then bringing another veteran guy into your locker room at this point in the season. Yeah, Dan, how did you think that would how do you how would that work out in the rotation? Like uh, who would leave? Who would lose the minutes that he would get? Listen, it was just a little pie in the sky, all right? Even it's even little moves, man. No, it's, and it's not a, and again, it's not a bad idea. idea. I love listen. Of all the guys in the past generations, everybody knows Brandon Roy is number one for me, but Wes is very high up there for me. I got undrafted dude who spent a year basically rebuilding his game in Utah, makes good, and becomes a cult hero here. Like, of course, I'd like to see him come back, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where I, I uh, it, it's, it's not a secret. I, I talk about wing depth on this team all the time. That. Where where does the the non siloed player come from? Where does the three and the D come from? Where does the transition buckets come from? And I, I know Wes doesn't address those all, all that well, but it's just more like I said, a little more pie in the sky, and it, it opens up the idea of: Do you think the Blazers would, if presented with the right opportunity, a, a, a go after a player in the buyout market? Oh, I, I absolutely do. I mean, I think if I, I think if it was someone that was more of like a two three, then yeah, absolutely. But I. And again, with Wes, I'm guessing Wes is probably going to have some options as well. So uh, while I don't know if it'll necessarily be a bidding war, I'm guessing that he's going to have he's going to probably have a, a pick of maybe a couple places. And I don't know, I don't know how how high Portland would be on his list. So okay, speaking of of, of buyouts, 
Mello's being bought out. We, 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 you, you're, you're team anti-Mello, right? Yeah, you know, I just don't, I don't really see it. Um, I, I don't, I, I've watched Carmelo Anthony in his last two stops, whereas people who keep making an argument for him, I don't know that they have. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I said on the radio the other day that I thought that perhaps that, that he was just done, period. Um, and, you know, I, that might have been a little overboard, but. The Shanghai is calling. Yeah, I mean, I, well, and again, like, if you're Carmelo, like, I just don't, I don't understand it from his perspective either. Like, you, you're, you're square on money. Like, you're, you're, you're set, or at least you wouldn't assume he's set. Um, you're probably, unless you're going to sign with the Warriors, you're not winning a championship this year. You're not going to be the difference between the Lakers winning a championship and, and not winning a championship. So what's the, what's the motivation? And he seems like a guy, too, that doesn't, he wants to have a role that's specific to what he wants. So it's like, at a certain point, what's the, why not just hang him up, man? Like, you know, you're, you're already to the point where you don't kind of want to change. You don't want to, you don't want to be a guy who, who kind of transitions at the end of his career. You want to be the star player still, which is fine. Like, that's cool. But, uh, you know, just, just maybe accept that fact that, that you're not the player you used to be and, and, you know, kind of continue on with the rest of your life. But I, I think that's something we saw from Melo even the last couple of years, I remember what, whatever it was when ESPN puts out those top 100 players or whatever, you know, and, and Carmelo was at like 30 or something like that. And, you know, it was like, how can, how can Carmelo be that low? And it's like, <laughs> even then he was like, this is disrespectful. Like I'm better than these guys. It's like, look, man, maybe you're just not, you know, like at a certain, at a certain point, you got to kind of look or survey the situation and say, well, if no one really wants me and if, <laughs> If I flamed out at the last two places I've been, and three really, if you want to count the Knicks, then I mean, you know, what's that saying? When when someone tells you who you who they are, you know, believe them. Like I, I kind of think that that's <laughs> that's maybe where we're at with Carmelo is that you know he's a he's a guy who is from a, a different era of NBA offensive basketball, and it's just not it's not necessarily all that applicable to what we're doing today, particularly for a guy who's you know who's on in years. I, I constantly forget that he exists uh, just because this league is so fast paced. There's so much going on. And if you're not like in the headlines, you drop out so fast because there's always people lined up to take your place in you know, in, in the news. And I'm always just like, oh, yeah, I forgot Carmelo Anthony was even still in the league. I would like to forget, but it seems like there's a few guys in the media who whose job it is to to get Why Carmelo another job him? like. Like, I don't know if, I mean, I, I look at power ranks on ESPN every single week because I, I do a little aggregation for it. Mark Spears, for like five weeks straight, his little blurb about the Blazers in his power rankings was, Blazers could sure use another scorer like Carmelo Anthony to help him out <laughs> uh, off the bench. And it's like, Doug, at a certain point, like, what? Are, are you getting a cut here? Like, like hey, Dennis, Scott Scott being, Dennis Scott the other day being like, you know, on I think the players only broadcast from uh, – from the Thunder game was like, yeah, I think the players would be a great spot for him. It's like, what? Why? Like, explain to me and and don't say bench scoring, because one, the guy said he doesn't want to come off the bench anyways, and two, <laughs> he's not really an efficient scorer. So like, unless you're getting a taste of of whatever Carmelo Anthony's vet minimum contract is, like, or or unless he really did you a solid at some point in time in your career, I don't know why you're again why you're pounding the pavement to try to get this guy work. <laughs> well, now that you guys are both all wound up about Carmelo Anthony, which is not where I thought this podcast was going to go, <laughs> we should 
probably start wrapping it up because it's we've we've gone on a little bit longer than we promised Casey that that we would go. So, uh, Casey, you want to tell people where they can find you and um, yeah, go ahead and tell them where they can find Plug you. All your works for sure. Uh, well, obviously, uh, read the stuff at trailblazers.com forward center dot net. Uh, both all a lot of my content ends up on on both those URLs. Uh, I'm on Twitter, obviously at C Hold. Though I would not recommend that you follow me, as I always say, I'm one of the. Well, I won't say I'm one of the only, but I, I do not ever ask people to follow me on Twitter because I don't think I'm all that good at it, anyways. So, like, I don't. Long story short, don't follow me on Twitter. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, which you should follow me on because I feel like I do a better job there. And if you like photos of sneakers and players on the road and hummingbirds uh, and my dog from time to time, that's the place to find them. Which is a. Uh, Casey Holdall on, on Instagram. And uh, one thing I do actually want to plug is on Wednesday, February 6th at Tough Luck on Decom here in Portland. Uh, we are going to be doing a live recording of the Rip City Report once again. Um, Joe, myself, uh, will be answering questions, doing a live recording of the podcast, drink specials, Rip City Red Hot Chicken Sandwich special. Uh, we'll have some prizes. Um, DJ Lickley Brindle will be making his debut there as well. So uh, check us out Wednesday, February 6th at Tough Luck, 6 o'clock. Awesome. I really love your Instagram pictures. Thank you for sharing all those. Oh, yeah, thank like you so much. I mean, you know, Bruce is a legend and his photos at like game photos and everything are amazing. You have a little bit more of the like the, you know, the people stuff just like, oh, we're randomly sitting here in this chair. Let me take a picture of all you guys in this chair. And it's a great balance between the two of you. Yeah, no, I mean, Bruce, Bruce is the god. He, he Bruce is a pro through and through. I'm a guy that takes photos from time to time. So there, there's definitely a difference. Yeah, the uh, the former Blazers Edge uh, members uh, photographer rankings between you and Gulliver is pretty close. Yeah, you know, I'm going to give myself the the head over over Ben. Ben <laughs> did some Ben's Ben's early sneaker work uh, was phenomenal, and and I think really sets the groundwork for what a lot of people are doing in the NBA now in terms of sneaker coverage. Uh, but uh, I, I I'd, I'd give myself the uh, the leg up in that one. Now, in terms of writing, Ben is like leaps and bounds above all the, the absolute best that I've ever done. So, so Ben can, can sleep tight knowing that while I might be a little bit of a better photographer, he is a far superior writer. Danny, how about your stuff? Uh, as always, you can find me on Blazes Outsiders, every pre and post game show on NBC Sports Northwest with Joe Simon, Shane Brent, and myself. It would be missed if I did not plug Blazers Edge Nights. Obviously, we're getting closer and closer and closer to that. Uh, so if you can get there, we're trying to send 2,000 kids to see the Blazers take on the Brooklyn Nets in March. Tickets start at $10. This is like the big push, really like the month leading up to it. And if you haven't if heard me talk about it, Tarabak about it, or Dave talk about it, anybody talk about it, one of the coolest events I've ever been a part of. Um, it's it, it could literally be life-changing. Like These are the kind of stories that you you tell you know, as a kid growing up, you know, that one time I got to go to a game and it, you know, meant everything to me. And these are kids that don't only get the opportunity. So if you have the opportunity to donate, go to Blazers Edge. There'll be a link on the front page. There'll be a link at the bottom of every article. Uh, you can go to the Blazers uh, ticket site or Ticketmaster. Use the code Blazers Edge. That will also link you to it. Ten bucks. If you can donate, please donate. Uh, other than that, you can find me on social media. Twitter, IG, everything else at D Marang at D M A R A N G. Um, my Twitter is not good, but I like to think it is. I'm, I'm different from Casey. I want you to follow me because I'm vain. 
You can find me on Twitter at T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S. I love Twitter, and I think that I'm funny, and people are just missing out on some really good jokes. But they could also be, like, super bad jokes, which is why nobody likes them. I don't know. I entertain myself endlessly on it. I'm also on Instagram, but I am very boring on Instagram. Um, you can also follow the Hoops and Talks podcast. We just had an episode come out with Alexis Robinson, who you mentioned, uh, Dan Morang. She is the uh, publicist for – or she does PR with Zach Collins. And we had her on to tell us about Zach, you know, in high school and college and what it's been like working with him. It was a really great interview. So you can find that on the Hoops and Talks podcast. You can follow Hoops and Talks on uh, Twitter at Hoops and Talks. And I think that ought about do it for us. Guys, Casey, thank you so much for joining us. That was awesome. And thanks to all of our listeners for sticking with us. This is kind of a long one. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Tara. I really appreciate it. And I also, I just want to mention real quick, too, I appreciate what you're doing in terms of, of trying to expand the the options for, for the ladies out there. Because I've, I've always felt like we have such phenomenal women fans. I mean, there are there ones just fans, but like, they're so great. And and one of kind of my my biggest I don't know if I'd say regrets, but just I, I wish I was better at 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 communicating to our entire fan base. So the fact that that you're out there that, and, and making that more accessible uh, to all the all the women out there who want to who are such wonderful fans who might feel like all these jerk dudes out there are kind of keeping them from from being able to enjoy the things they want to. I, I really appreciate you out there doing that. I, I've, I've wanted to mention that for a while. So thank you so much for for playing that role. It's incredibly important. Oh, thank you very much, Casey. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for joining us and we will talk to you next time.